On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Lemon, and Lemon was in a toxic relationship with a future-faking narcissist. It's a story of scapegoats, self-love, button-pushing, self-defense, isolation, believing the lies you're told, and coping mechanisms. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Lemon. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. And today we are going to hear your story. And it is a relationship story, but you also grew up in a household where you were the scapegoat. So people are going to learn... Uh, some family stuff today. They're going to learn some relationship stuff today as well. Uh, you went through a lot. Your relationship was uh, 10 years along. Oh, and I forgot to tell everyone who has never heard this show before. I almost forgot. My name is Brandon Chadwick. I apologize for not doing that right away. Sometimes I forget. But uh, back to uh, back to Lemon here. Uh, Lemon uh, really went through a lot. Uh, you know, 10 years is a, is a long time to be in an abusive relationship and to endure uh, what she went through to to deal with so many put downs of, of who you are every single day. Um, th- there are trigger warnings in this episode. We do discuss physical abuse. There is suicidal ideation that is also mentioned. So for people that do not want to hear any of these things, please turn this episode off now because I know how triggering these things can be for everyone. And that's it for our warnings here for today. I really want to thank Lemon for, for being here. It's not easy. So now... Without further ado, Lemon, the floor is now yours. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. Um, I just um, want to talk about my life um, with the narcissist and um, how my life was before this 10-year um, relationship with the older narc. Um, so, well, when I was a child, in my childhood, I was raised by a narcissist. Um, it was my mom. Uh, I was the sixth born of eight kids. So there was seven girls, and I was the sixth girl. Um, and then it was one boy. He was the baby. And so I was raised by a single mom. And she had um, a lot of toxic and um just very abusive behavior that she would display and a lot of that would um be displayed towards me um so i would definitely say that i was the scapegoat um so our family was really large you know and so um there were different roles in our family unit uh and um, unfortunately, yeah, I was the scapegoat. Uh, I was blamed for everything. Things that didn't have anything to do with me. Other, any of my mom's frustration, anything that she would um, take it out on me, and she would take it out on me just openly. So it was a lot of humiliation. And I believe she showed my siblings how to treat me. And so since it was like seven others and I was one of the babies, I took a lot, a lot of bullying, um, just a lot of uh, put downs, uh, physical uh, uh, discipline, a lot from my mom. And I could see the difference in, in between the way she would discipline my siblings and with myself, she would be a lot harder on me than she would be with my siblings. And, you know, just um, pretty much neglected, you know, and singled out a lot from my mom. So I was scapegoated. So I feel that I was groomed from a very young age 
to um to just I was just groomed and I was just lined up. I feel for this narcissistic the ten year relationship with this narc. Um, and so I just felt like I never really had much of a chance, and things were just going to have to play out um, the way that they did, you know, since there was no intervention. So um, uh, there was a golden child, my oldest sister. She was the oldest, the eldest girl, firstborn, and she was definitely the golden child. She could do no wrong, even though she did very, and I won't tell her, story but I will say um and I wouldn't tell my um it was a it, it was just the situation involving two siblings that and it became um uh, one of a I can't say that it became one of a sexual abuse relationship between two siblings um and I would say that just because the sibling did um try to get help and make it public so that's why I don't mind saying that part that it was um you know um some a very um toxic relationship and dysfunctional relationship between two siblings that became abusive uh towards one and well that golden child even though she was involved in that and she was the perpetrator it's as if it was just swept under the rug but it affected me so much you know, and it didn't even happen to me, but it affected me so much. And we weren't ever able to talk about it. And to this day, she still is just, I mean, everybody just loves her. She just like, I just can't see past some of the stuff that she did. And I feel like I did not, I didn't do anything to anyone. Like I never hurt anyone. You know, like I said, I was one of the younger younger kids, so, you know, I was easily, you know, taken advantage of by the older kids. So I don't remember or recall doing anything, um, not that I was some perfect angel. I was a kid, like, you know, the rest of them. So I'm sure I had, you know, just, uh, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm sure I just was being a kid, but I just never did anything to them. And I always wanted to ask them, what did I do to you? But, I, you know, I, I don't ever recall doing anything to them to harm them or hurt them or embarrass them in any way. So for them to all just treat me so poorly over the years, it just um, always hurt me and left me confused. And did you ever have a sibling that you uh were closest with at all or no absolutely i did i had a sibling that i was very close to we were one year apart and um she was the she was the one who would um she would play with me you know but she she wouldn't play with me um like with the other siblings like you know uh there was like a lot of group activities and they would always leave me out and um, I just remember just feeling left out. And I remember, like, uh, maybe after the game was done, you know, um, being played or whatever, my sister, my um, older sister that's a year older than me that I was close to, she would come and she would, you know, play with me. She would say I was saying, And she would just, like, sit with me, you know, and she would be the one who would um, try to include me, you know, in things. So I'm going to make the assumption that you will have issues when it comes to not feeling love. And you can correct me on that if I'm wrong, because a lot of the time I'm, I'm wrong on, on my assumptions. Um, and I guess, how are you feeling about yourself otherwise? And how do you feel about your family? And do you want anything from them? Well, yeah, it is fair to say that I did not feel love. Like, I did not feel love from um, my family of origin, from my siblings or my mom growing up. Um, and so I think it's fair to say that I I kind of resented them at the same time. Like, I always did have, like, always knew that. Well, back then, I wouldn't even say it was resent. I just felt like I hated them. So I just never wanted to... Um, 
I just never wanted, I just never cared to try to impress them in any way like that or try to get them to really even accept me. You know, I just felt like after they rejected me so much and treated me so poorly, I just couldn't wait to grow up and get away from them. You know, I just wanted to get away from them. So eventually you did. And, oh, yeah. And then you ended up by in a, was your first relationship uh, with the narcissist or did you have uh, other relationships in between? Well, I did. My first relationship was um, with um, a narcissist that I became, I had a child, but I didn't know he was a narcissist either. It was just very toxic and dysfunctional. But so right before the 10-year relationship with the narc was um, like a, about a three-year relationship with someone I had had a, ch- a, a child with. We had a child together. And then after that, right after that, I met the narc. So you're going into this relationship as a single mom. How are you feeling about yourself before you're getting in? Uh, really? I was really feeling like um, I really didn't have a self. Um, I know I did, I did not love myself. Um, so I was really just in a dark place. Like, um, I had very low self-esteem. Um, I had very low self-worth. Uh, so, and I was looking, I know that I was looking for acceptance, some sort of acceptance. Like I was just out on my own in the world and I was just really looking for someone to love me, to accept me, to just make me feel, feel love. So I I know I was, um, vulnerable right before I met that narc, you know, I, I was very, very, very vulnerable. So how did everything begin? Okay, so, well, uh, we lived out in an apartment complex together, and um, I had, uh, I guess I had been noticing him, and it's almost as if he wanted me to notice him. It was just little things, now that I look back on it, like, he would, like, roll his window down, like, if we were, like, going passing each other, maybe in a parking lot, where whereas his window was rolled up. Previous, you know, I could see him rolling his window down, just little things he would do to make himself noticeable. And it went on for a couple months. And then um, one day I got off work. I um, had gotten out of my car. I saw him across the parking lot where he lived. And I saw him, like, acting like he, were, he was doing something in his trunk. And I just remember saying hey to him. And then um, from there, we started to, um, you know, call each other. We exchanged numbers, and we started calling each other, texting each other, just basically constantly. It's like right away. And um, I started to go over to his um, um, apartment, and I used to spend a lot of time at his apartment with him. And at the time, my best friend, she lived with with me. We were roommates. And so she would watch my children a lot. And I would be across the parking lot at his place. Basically, it was him. Like, we wouldn't be spending time together. It was more so he was allowing me to spend time with him. And that made me feel good. And it made me feel good that he was showing me so much attention. Um, even though we wouldn't go on dates, it was just always like everything was kicked off. Everything started like right at his apartment. Like, you know, we didn't like go on dates and be around other people. It was just like very, like to me, isolated, you know, the way that we, um, started off. Okay. So July, 2010 is when I had met him and, um, so July, August, September, October, uh, November, it was just pretty much a lot of love bumming, a lot of him. Because I had, at the time, I had the one-year-old from the previous relationship. So immediately he started to make it her, his daughter, you know, saying, you know, um, that we were a family um, and just saying, you know, that, you know, he, he was just like, do want to do like family things, even though we hadn't even, I knew it was weird because it was like, we hadn't even put in any work, you know, to be a family. Like we had just met, but he had make it so that like, 
I don't know what you would call that, but he would just, like, make it so that we were a family. Like, it was just so, I don't know, like, it was just so weird that he just took that strong liking towards my baby, you know, at the time. But then it made me also feel good because her dad was was absent. You know, he just wasn't coming around doing anything. So um, I think that was part of love bumming because he really got me with that, with just being so interested in my daughter, my, my one-year-old, just like wanting to show her so much love. So he, he just ste- he stepped into a void that was missing, not just in your life, but in the life of your daughter. And for yes. you, that was just in a way like, oh, this is amazing. It's a little bit of a miracle here. This other person isn't part of my daughter's life. They're not trying. They're not doing anything to help. And here's this person that wants to be a family man. Yes, yes, yes. And so he stepped right into that role. And he just started playing, you know, the dead, dead part or role or whatever. And it, and I felt like that was a void, you know, something that was, um, you know, just missing. So he really um, got me with that. Like, he got me hooked. It was a lot of grooming those first four months. He would talk to me for literally, and I'm like, how is this normal? And how, I don't understand how I was able to even, uh, just go through that, like, and able to make it through that without saying, like, shut up or, like, you know, something, like, to get this dude to stop. But it's almost like he would just, like, almost imprison me. Like, I would have to just sit there and listen to him talk for hours about his childhood, the his caretakers, those who were supposed to be taking care of him, how, you know, they were neglecting him, and just story after story after story. And I really felt bad for him. Because I felt like he was telling my story, you know, like, and I hadn't told him any of this stuff, like about, you know, my, you know, just being neglected as a kid, being feeling alone, feeling like I'm in a world all by myself at five, like no five-year-old shop could feel that way. Like, you know, like they have no one. So like, um, a no safe place. And he, when he told me his stories, it sounded so similar to mine that I felt for him and I think he knew that. And so I think, well, I know every day he will remind me, and this is 10 years, every day he will remind me of his childhood, some story or something dealing with the past. I constantly. So so he's playing a victim. You're feeding into feeling bad for him. And at the same time, you feel understood because he's gone through something similar and here we have like a combination of these two things, uh, plus him stepping into the role of the dad, which I assume has right here probably has you really hooked into him. Was there anything else about him that was over the top that that got you hooked into him, or was this enough? Well, well, just the one thing that is that is enough. But right there, that would be enough. But then he he added the whole thing about him. One in a family. And I want, you know, he just said he never had a family. He used to tell me he never had a family. He always felt like nobody was checking for him. He always said that. And I felt the same way. So that really got me right there that he wanted to have a family. And that's what I wanted so bad because I never had it. And I wanted it so badly, a family of my own. And so that's what really got me just um, those three things. So now you have this shared future of a family that you both want. He's not just playing dad to your daughter. Here's someone who feels your pain uh, of growing. You know his pain too from how you both grew up. And it's like you're, I guess, kind of these wounded souls from your childhood with this, you know, this exact same pain. And in a way, and I've mentioned this on other episodes before, it's kind of like a fairy tale in a way to kind of meet someone who has gone through the same things as you understand you and you're both looking for the exact same thing in life. It's a real big, you know, fairy tale kind of come true in in a lot a lot of ways of um, not having to explain yourself. Someone really understand you in that way. They They really get you in that way. It's a real fairy tale or dream kind of scenario in some ways. And it's something that you could easily 
buy into here and you did. But the thing is, is that he knows that you have bought in at this point. So how long does it take for the devaluation to begin? The devaluation started occurring. I want um that happened. It was a certain incident in November 2010 for Thanksgiving. Um, so by that time I was just all in it, you know. And so usually on the holidays, um, I would go back uh to uh, my hometown because I was living out of town at that time. I would go back to my hometown and you know, do the dinners or whatever, the family uh, dinners. And, um, but this time I told them uh, I wasn't coming. And I remember being on the phone, the cell phone, and I remember him being like right there listening to the entire thing, listening to me going back and forth with my family members, just letting them know that I was spending the holiday with my new boyfriend. You know, this is what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, they really had no right trying to tell me that, you know, where to spend a holiday. I wanted to spend it with this new guy. And I just remember kind of like, I can't remember him just taking it all in because it was like I was screaming and we were, you know, yelling at each other, my siblings and my mom, like over the telephone. And so I remember like, you know, spend, not going to spend the holidays with my family. And I remember him, I just think that he really like the fact that you know I was you know putting myself in like isolation with him even though my family was so unhealthy as well but he just liked that I was like you know um, pulling away from my family and just my loyalty I had loyalty towards him so I don't know like right after that he just started to be really really mean like right after that Thanksgiving he just started to like be irritated by everything I did um, but still the mask it didn't it wasn't like slip completely off because it was just future faking. So he was future faking just saying that we was gonna be a family and um it was right after that Thanksgiving is when a devaluation started. Really had like just um he would um like I said be irritated by me and I just was like and he would um say things like um he would tell like put me down in certain ways like um tell me that um like he could do better than me i remember him telling me he could do better than me uh that his last his ex-girlfriend um was uh better than me so i remember him starting to put me down um during that point and right after and we were planning a move together actually we already had planned um to move to um down south because this was up north we were living up north in the midwest and we had planned to move down south this was the fifth month so these the, the, these things are moving really fast now five months you're already planning to move down south together and making a giant move so when the when this devaluation like pops up here what are you saying to yourself? How are you feeling? And are you thinking I've made a giant mistake, but you still don't know what to do? Well, when he did that kind of thing, when he was devaluing me, I felt like complete. I felt so little. I felt like complete. Like, I hate to say it, but just trash. Like, I just felt like because he had me, um, he knew how to, like, push all my buttons. He knew how to control me emotionally. So he knew how to make me feel good and he knew what to do to make me feel bad. So like when like he would just like be mean towards me and irritated towards me, uh, and say mean things to me. Yes. I felt absolutely positively horrible. Like I felt like a piece of trash. Yeah. I just always felt really, really low when he would do those things. And I just felt rejected. And, um, that's when I would feel really lonely. You know, I felt really, really lonely when he would um, devalue me. And then I would feel really good when he would, the, because it was so weird, because he really never treated me nice and did nice loving things for me. He would always just help me do that for him. But that was part of, um, I, I, I always felt good. Like, like if he would ask me, oh, what are you cooking? You know, that would put us back 
hold a good track for me. Or if I was like, you know, um, just doing anything a service for him, which I did a whole, whole lot of, um, you know, so it would be like devaluation and then what are you cooking or I need my clothes cleaned or, you know, washed or this house is a mess, you know, or something like that, you know. So that would always, even though it was still devaluating, but I don't know, it was still, it made me feel like we were on the right track again. So being happy to uh, do things for him uh, isn't really a, a good thing. It's still kind of a devaluation because you're really at his beck and call. It's a really good thing for him. Um, you know, so he would put you down and he then really wouldn't love bomb you per se, but you perceived it as a love bomb because he let you into his, into his life. And I'm going to hark back to something you said earlier, which is you said at the beginning of your story, when you were first spending time with him, you said he was allowing me to spend time with him. You weren't spending time together. I really found that to be an interesting statement and that you were aware of this even uh, back then. And even in your initial meetings with him, you know, you made him notice you in, in a sense, and then you kind of chased him. So from the beginning of this whole entire thing, there was this power imbalance that was going on. And you could feel it, and he knew it too. And this was all really unsaid stuff that was that was going on. But this imbalance was going on, and you both sensed it. Um, and you were feeling um, that doing things for him was good enough for you, um, right off from the bat, like you know. Just saying to reiterate this once again that you said, you know, you were uh, he was allowing you to spend time with him. You weren't spending time together, and you knew it at that time. So, uh, really, right off the bat, um, this person that you were in a relationship with for for ten years, in those first few months, he was in total control already. It might not fully seem like it uh, when you're like so far into it, but, um, you kind of knew it and, and it's there. Um, and it's really interesting to, uh, hear you say all of these things and, and know it and like deep down know it was there and, and, and to feel that it was there, but, you know, being accepted, I think is probably the big word here that, you know, you were accepted into this world and you're coming from a world of not being accepted and you were able to accept this even though they were breadcrumbs in a lot of ways and you couldn't see it as breadcrumbs at the time because at least it was something and it was something that you never even had before so it's really understandable that that happened or that this was going to happen um based upon how you were raised. And it's sad, but it's it's the truth. And I'm happy you are where you are. I'm stating that already, that you're so aware of these things. It's, 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 uh, it's really nice to hear that you have all this awareness. So I kind of interrupted and, and railroaded that for a bit. So uh, you, I guess, were eventually moving down south. I think that's where we were last, uh, last we're at. So take us through uh, that process. We were planning that move to down south, and we actually did it. And then during that, during the process, the physical move, he was just so agitated. He was so uh, agitated by me, myself, the kids, you know. But you know, he would never really be just like openly mean to the kids. But it was just like be really a whole lot towards me. But to me, he was verbally abusive just from the yelling and the screaming and, you know, in the house, period. You know, that was that was unhealthy and dysfunctional for everybody, you know, um, even though it was being directed towards me, you know, uh, majority of the time. And so, like, um, even though all this was going on and I was feeling, um, like, unsure, 
I just already was so deep in and I didn't know what to do. And I already had made arrangements and told everybody I was moving and really had it in my mind that we was going to just run off and be some happy little family, you know, and it was just the complete opposite of that. So we end up moving that December 2010, uh, just myself and him, my two kids, and I went 10 hours away from anybody I knew, anything I knew. And I was 25 and he was 40 at that time. So, um, so we went to down south and things just got progressively worse. And just the, um, it just got totally progressively worse. He started to cheat. And once we got down south, his mask completely slipped. He just, it came, he just took it off and just threw it down. I mean, he just completely took it off and just um, started to openly tell me how much he regretted moving down south with me. Um, just telling me that I was, um, he'll call me disgusting. He'll say I was disgusting. I was fat. Um, he could do better. That was his main thing. He was always telling me he could do better than me. He's done better than me. Um, that I was a loser. Um, he would, yeah, he would tell me I was a loser a lot. Um, and all this time, I would just take all of this in. But at the same time, I I did stand up for myself. But it just, I couldn't stand up for myself on a daily basis as far as taking a stance for myself. But I would stand up for myself when he would just poke me, poke, 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 constantly call me names. And it'd be like reactive abuse was like was really bad. Because when he would constantly poke at me and devalue me, you know, and um, just blame everything on me, um, like, I don't know, I would just explode. Eventually, I would explode. And I would, um, I was no angel, you know, but, you know, because I feel like um, I have to be, like, accountable in this, you know, in some way to be able to properly heal. So the reactive abuse was, like, really bad. Like, I would cuss, want to fight, be very, I mean, just very vulgar, just say anything, you know, and it was very bad. And so it just, the abuse cycle just kept going. Like, um, basically, the love bombing was just gone. He would always future fake. He would uh, uh, discard like all the time, break up with me. Like all the time, break up with me. He was an enabler. Um, so even though he'll call me a, a drunk, which I don't ever believe I was a drunk, but I did use um, an alcoholic rather. Um, I, but I believe that I did use uh, alcohol, you know, like um, beer, like IPA, craft beer, stuff like that, to just uh, get the monkey off my back and be able to relax. It was just like you were coping. Um, yes, I was coping. Like, I, I, and and he would be the one who provide the uh, the beer, you know, and a cigarettes. Because that's what he tell me. All you all you do is sit around and smoke cigarettes and drink beer. And it just wasn't true, you know. But um, he would always say that. But then at the same time, he would bring the 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 um he would buy the beer for me or buy the cigarettes and then talk about me for you know for for taking it so it was this very just uh a roller coaster emotional roller coaster ride with this um this man and he was a lot older than me so he was already ahead in the game you know way far ahead than i was you know so so you you know move so you moved down there and you were 25 years old ish yes yep sir yeah i was and and you're i assume in an area when you got there you didn't know a lot of people maybe you didn't know anyone at all Um, and you are with this person for a 10-year period as a whole so 
all of this abuse is going on for a very long period of time. And you're in, you know, you don't really have family you can rely on or trust. You don't, do you have people in your life like that, that you can uh, trust, that you can talk to about what's going on during this time? And, you know, at what point are you saying to yourself, I have gone crazy. My reality isn't reality. Like what is kind of going on in your head as far as like, I need to escape or are you, that not even in your thought process? Cause your day to day is just so, um, you need to be present in every hypervigilance situation that it's going so fast and furious that there is no time to think of the other stuff. No, no, you're right. There's, there was no time to think of any of that stuff for at least, at least seven years of the relationship. I didn't think about, um, how, I could, um, you know, escape or get, I guess I, I escaped through, you know, drinking. And so I never thought about how to get out. I was trying to make it work, like literally still trying to make it work. And it's like, it was clear now in hindsight that it was never going to work, but I was trying to make it work because this was a family, you know, this was my family. So day to day, no, not for seven years that I finally just, I just had I just had enough. Like I just had enough. I was just um, breaking down constantly, just crying, having mental breakdowns, really thinking that like, am I going crazy? And I just remember like, Oh God, it was just so horrible. We would, uh, one time we was on the expressway, um, 85 North or something. And so we were there on the expressway and I, we had, it was always a problem every time we went out in public, something that he would do. Oh, God, he just was just horrible. So, like, um, I just hated going anywhere with him after a, a point. So, this was, like, getting to that point where I just was starting to hate going anywhere with him and just, like, saying to myself, I just got to get away from this guy, you know. Um, and so, I was in a car with him, and I literally... <laughs> I literally, I wanted to open the door and I, it was like an impulse. I almost was going to do it. Open that car door and just jump out. The only thing that made, made me not do that was that my daughter was in the back seat. But that's how I, that, that, that would give a, like a, a like a, a um, accurate depiction of like, you know, of how I was feeling at that time that I would want to jump out of a moving vehicle going 70 miles an hour on the expressway because I was just getting to that point where I just could not take it anymore. I just felt like I was on a hamster wheel. I just felt like it, I was just going crazy, like literally going crazy because he was he gaslighting me so big. He isolated me so bad like I had no confidence to make friends I had no and I was a young girl you know I was only 24 25 26 all these you know my my 20s with this guy half of my 20s um and then the other half of my 30s so I was still young I was a young lady you know I should have been living life he knew that he knew what he was doing he would guess like the heck out of me I knew that he was cheating I knew that when we were out in public, he would be, you know, he would find other toxic people because it's a lot of toxic, dysfunctional people, you know? And so he would find people to, like, just make, connect with, like, and they mostly were women, you know, a lot of the time it was a woman, and they would be flirting and stuff, and they knew that was making me feel bad, and I would not stand up for myself in situations. I would just sit there and just sit in the feeling of like feeling just very low, feeling empty inside and just letting this thing go on, you know, and not into, I would have an attitude a little bit, but the reason why I really wouldn't have an attitude because it happened so many times like this, 
because he would then turn it around and he would say, you're always making problems everywhere we go. That's why I can't take you nowhere. And you were embarrassing. And he would say this in public. So I just didn't want to double, double the humiliation. Like, so I know I sometimes just wouldn't say anything because I know if I said anything, then he would turn it around again and make it that I I'm starting drama and I'm starting trouble, but really he was. And so the gaslighting had gotten so bad that I just um, really didn't know if I was coming or going, you know, even though I knew that I was right about things, I just didn't have anybody who I could talk to and who could maybe validate that for me and be like, you know, you are right, you know, because I was so isolated. I did not have any friends. Like, literally any friends besides my childhood friends that I still have to this day. You know, like, I have two of them. But we weren't close enough. I isolated myself from them, too. You know, so we weren't close enough for me to share any of this with. I couldn't tell anybody that this was going on. Like, I just did not know how. And then they wouldn't believe me if I told my family because they would. I, I tried that, and they would basically take his side. You know, and eventually they would. Uh, get in contact with each other. Somehow they got each other's number, probably through me. I'm not sure how that happened, but they did get each other's numbers and they did talk a few times behind my back about me. And so I knew I couldn't trust them, you know, and plus they were the, you know, um, the, the family of origin I came from that already had set me up for this in the first place. So if I did tell them I would brought them, when I, if I did, if I, anytime they did find out that I was doing bad, that just, when I was in a bad place in my life, that just made them feel, I felt like they were happy when I was sad and down and out. You know, I always felt that way. And so I knew I couldn't trust them. And so I just had no one to turn to and things just got worse and worse and worse. And like I said, it happened like within like with seven years in, seven years into the um, relationship when I just really started to feel like I didn't want to really live. You know, I just um, was just tired of it all. And so I started to, um, I started to look up, I started to look up. Um, abuse, like um, verbal abuse, like I would look at verbal abuse and and just abuse, abuse in general. And the narcissistic, you know, abuse uh, came up. Like when I googled it, and um, I just related and I could identify, you know, with that, you know, um, so much. So I just kept researching it and um, researching. And, um, you know, just praying to God, you know, that he could help me. Like, I would pray so, so, so hard. And um, so it took, like, three years, like, from 2018, like, 20, no, 2017. That's when I started to just... get to, you know, the low point and started to research abuse and just see what I could do about it. If there was anything I could do, you know, to change my life, to change my kids' life, to get us out of there, I just started to slowly build myself up. And I learned about gaslighting. I learned about gaslighting, and I knew that's what he was doing a lot of, like, because I would catch him red-handed cheating, you know, because I go through his phone you know, I go, to, go go in his phone and I would just see him just blatantly exchanging messages with another woman talking about, you know, the good time they had with each other and stuff like that. And I would always catch him on dating apps. He always had a profile and he would literally tell me that that's not him, that that's an old profile. But at that point, we had been together so long. So how old could it be? You know, so he was cheated very bad from off of um, like P.O.L. And I believe he was very promiscuous. And so, but he would always tell me this stuff wasn't happening. So, and so that would make me feel really crazy when he would do that. Like, it would make me feel absolutely insane. And so, um, I was able to, oh, and uh, uh, what's the other thing with the, oh, Grey Rock. Grey Rock helped me a lot as well. Um, Just using the Grey Rock technique, just like not always reactive to every little thing 
And also, um, I just started to like get really irritated by him after a while. Like he started to irritate me, you know, um, with how much he would talk. And I never got a chance to talk. I never got a chance to share my feelings, but he could always share his feelings. Um, he would shut me down if I ever tried to, um, like, express myself. It was always like, oh, you're being negative. I'm being negative, but we're, I thought we I thought we were sharing feelings, you know, right now. I thought we were exchanging stories about our day, you know, and he'll tell me he had such a bad day, and I, and I would be there and be like, oh, how? You know, ask questions. I would be interested. You know, um, I would try to share my day, and it was, oh, you're being negative. I can't, I can't listen to all this negativity. You know, you're just a negative person. And so I really got sick of that, and I just got really just fed up with him being so arrogant and making everything about him. I don't understand how everything became about this man. It could be we were on the way taking my daughter to school. That would be about him. He would start talking about himself talking about when he was going to school. I'm just like, oh, like you could never enjoy any moments with this man. You know, it was never like an enjoyable, enjoyable times with him. So, so like the beginning, I mean, the beginning of the end just occurred when I just really got sick of it. And I just started praying a lot and researching and building myself up and just um, slowly, but surely I was able to, um, become strong enough where I just like pulled, pulled away completely. And this was like in 2019, like at the end of 2019. And, um, so then at the beginning of 2020, when it was the pandemic, when the, um, you know, shutdown happened and stuff, he made that all about him. And, um, then we had, we lived in an apartment complex where he started to, um, become romantic and romantically involved with a neighbor and it was so obvious and it was just you know at that time I felt so hurt you know and I was humiliated everybody knew you know in the apartments we were living in and so what I did was um it was that was in May of um yeah, what a March. Well, it started happening like right there about March, April, but May I did take me and my daughter and I left and went to a hotel. And it was um for like two weeks. He didn't call. He didn't try to figure out where we were at. He just I I didn't hear from or from him or anything. And so I had went back home. Um, you know, I stayed in the city and but I went back home to the apartment that we still share together and most of his things were gone. You know, so he basically had moved out when I um when I went to the hotel because I just couldn't be around him and that girl that he was uh, cheating with. She was right next door. So, I mean, that was just like horrible. So, um, I, you know, I still had hopes that maybe, you know, he could even at this point, like, and this is the 10th year, you know, and I just still really wanted things to work, but I knew that they couldn't. I knew that they wouldn't. And I knew that I was just fed up by, you know, him i just fed, fed up by his behaviors because they never changed and i always kept feeling the same way and i just could not feel that way no more so i just had rather to feel the pain of leaving him than to feel the pain of just staying with him and just feeling like i could end my own life like i didn't you know um and so i just you know um i was hurt when i came back home and thought he moved all the stuff and didn't tell me nothing about, you know, he didn't say, say anything or anything like that. He just moved his stuff out. And then, um, but he would still come because we still had the lease. And the lease didn't end until the end of July, beginning of August. And so he was still, and this was about um, June at this point. But um, so for that month of June, he was still trying to um, just come around and kind of like devalue us. And just be, like, really mean towards us. But then he had this whole new, brand new life, you know. And he was sleeping in the front room. And we really wouldn't talk to each other. We had some really, a couple explosive fights 
in, in June. And um, um, one of them was in a public place where he did um, physically um, physically assault me. And I returned it, you know. Um, so it was like a altercation. It was a physical altercation. And that was the last um, time that I had to deal with him because I had called the police. And it, he he took off. He took off and he didn't come back to that apartment because um, I had sent him a text message or something. And I let him know that, you know, I had the police um, aware of what was going on, you know. And so then um, he, he I just never seen, saw him again. <laughs> like, you know, after 10 years of dealing with him, June 2020, we had a big fight. And I... I after that, I didn't. I never spoke with him. I never spoke with him. I didn't see him. He didn't Hoover. He didn't do nothing. He didn't call to check on a daughter that he had claimed that was, you know, he loved so much and um, was her dad. He didn't call to check on her. Absolutely nothing for a whole year up until actually, which is kind of funny, but it, up until this month, the the beginning of this month, I don't know if I was trying to temperature check. I don't know because um, I had written you and I just was wanting to share my story. And so that had me going back and down memory lane. And me, I was, um, I don't think I was really triggered because I don't want anything to do with this man, like um, at all. So I wasn't reaching out to him like to try to see you know if he could accept me again you know like I wasn't looking for anything I don't know what I was doing but I did I, maybe I wanted to see was he still the same I guess but um I texted him because my daughter had asked about him and so I told her I would reach out to him and so I um I messaged him and he didn't message me back right away he waited a couple days and this was the beginning of the month and then he uh, texted me and he said uh, hello or something I said hi but right away he asked where I was living and I was like okay I'm just gonna entertain let me let me I'm gonna entertain it just a little bit just to see where he gonna go with all this and he did exactly what I thought he would do he tried to violate my boundaries right away he asked me for my address. I could not believe that the man asked me for my address. He didn't ask me about my daughter, how she was doing. He asked me what city was I living in after this is a whole year of having no contact with him, not trying to contact him at all. And um, he asked me what city I was living in. I told him, and then he asked me for the address. And I said, absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. And then I asked him, well, I asked him, well, why didn't you try to co-parent after the breakup? And he told me, he responded, he replied, um, that's not up for a discussion right now. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. And then I said, oh, I see. You know, so I'm like, okay, he's still the same. You know, and then he started talking about wearing a mask and how I should protect myself and keep myself safe and all this stuff. Come, you know, dealing with the um, current situation. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, it, he's still the same. So I am just at the, in a place of healing and just getting closer to God. And, you know, um, it was, it felt really good to not want anything from him and to really just be disgusted by him, completely, like, turned off by his behavior, you know. Um, and so, like, it felt, felt really good. And so, yeah, I'm just in a really good place right now. Like, um, I'm going to find therapy for myself and my daughter. And um, I just lean a lot on God and, um, you know, the universe. And I do a lot of praying, self-care. Uh, self care, just like major, major self care, exercising. Um, you know, getting a routine. Uh, positive self talk. 
I attempt every day to just replace every negative thing that was ever said about me because I still can hear those voices sometimes. You know, I would just go ahead and tell, you know, tell myself that's not true. You know, I just give myself the, the, I allow myself to um, say good things about myself in my mind. You know, I don't have to keep replaying all of this, um, you know, all of these negative voices like from my siblings sometimes I hear my mom you know just you know in, inside I could hear these things and it's like my self-talk so um I I practice positive self-talk like let I let myself know that I am easy to get along with because I I feel that way I'm a peaceful person you know um I am you know a loving person um you know I'm not a troublemaker I never have been, but for some reason I had it in my mind that I was a troublemaker, even though I never started trouble with anyone. It was just these narcissistic people who I who I was dealing with and allowed in my life. And so I do not allow that. I try to nip things in the bud, you know. Um, so this has been like a about a year, you know, no contact with my mom, no contact with the narc, and like a year of just, um, really focusing on my, my, my daughter and myself and focusing on God and just wanting to share my story and try to help someone if I um, could just so they can know it's okay, you know? Well, you did, and you went through a lot, and you've been going through this your whole entire life, and this is arguably the first time you've had some sort of freedom away from toxicity you've just been around it forever and you've had this programming done to you and you still have uh, so much of your life left to live to unlearn those things and get all of those negative thoughts out of your head and you're going to have the chance to do that. You're going to have the chance to create a life for you and your daughter that you that you want, that you deserve. And I'm happy that you're, you're here and that you got here. And now that you can do these things, and it sounds like you're not going back to where you once were. And that really, you know, if, if there was no if, – if one person did support you, or if one thing did support you throughout this whole entire thing was your belief in God. And that strength has gotten you here. And throughout your life, you know, people say, or you said, you know, I cope with drinking. But the your belief in your faith really got you through. And I'm happy that you are where you you are and that you're here to help people now and make a great life for yourself. So I'm really proud of you. And, you know, I thank you so much for that, um, Brandon. And I just want to add this one thing. I believe that this is, um, really important. Um, uh, when I was five year old, five years old, the trauma, the, I had a head injury, which was untreated. And, um, I just really, it's like the little girl in me that that happened to just really, want just to say that you know because for so long my family told me that did not happen that it didn't happen that way that my sister I was playing with my, uh, my older sister she was three years older than me so she was quite you know she was bigger than me and she started to swing me around and swing me around and it wasn't fun for me anymore I told her to stop and she took my body and she threw it against the wall I hit my head on the wall and I fell to the floor and I cracked my skull in the back. So I had a big open hole in the back of my head that was just, I was going in and out of consciousness. And I remember I never could think the same after that. And I never was the same after that. And if it's one thing that I would, that I would have appreciated the most was just to be able to get that medical care, you know, just so that I didn't have to go through all the pain that I went through. Um, up, all the way up into my 30s with headaches, confusion, um, you know, seeing doubles, just feeling like little bugs was always just eating away at my mind, you know, my brain. Like I just felt 
you know, confused a lot. You know, um, I couldn't not keep up with things the way I was supposed to keep up with things, but it was, uh, it was my head, you know, it was, in my, you know, something was wrong. And so, um, after I hit my head, my mom, she, she did not take me to the hospital and I was bleeding profusely. I was bleeding horribly and she wrapped something around my head. She wrapped a sock around my head, one of those long man athletic socks. I remember her doing that, you know, and then she put, she, first of all, she put me in a bathtub and she ran the water in my head. I could still feel that, you know, I could still feel how it felt having that water running in that hole, you know, in the back of my head. And instead of her calling the ambulance, she did this. And um, she poured peroxide there. I still could remember the feeling of that. You know, the peroxide, a little fizzle, you know, the fizz in my, you know, right in the back of my head. She wrapped a, a, a sock around my head and laid me in the bed. And I remember laying there. And that's why I have such a strong um, relationship with God. Because I could feel God, his energy, I could feel his energy in that room with me, you know, for however long I had to lay there. It was a while, you know, um, I had to lay there for at least, it was some weeks. And so um, I just could really feel God. He, he, he healed me. He kept me alive during that time because I was slipping in and out of consciousness. And I had nobody there by that bedside with me, like, went through that by myself at five years old and a sister who did that to me she lies to this day they make a joke about it to this day they would make a joke about that and say that I'm lying that I really did hit my head in the bathtub my mom put me in the bathtub and they changed the story and to this day they try to still do that but I remember see that's what they didn't count on they didn't count on me remembering so they, you know, they really, you know, my mom should have given me medical attention for that. You know, um, that's for sure, if nothing else, because I suffered a lot behind that, you know. And so that's what I really wanted to say, you know, about like my childhood, a thing that, you know, harmed me the most and stayed with me the most through my entire life was that one incident at five that I did not receive medical care for and if you had any words of wisdom or advice for people listening, what would it be? It would be love yourself. You have to love yourself. Like that's the main thing I learned. Um, Brandon is that it's very important to have that self love because if you love yourself, then you are not going to allow people to come around and treat you badly. You're not going to allow people in your life you know, who's making you feel bad about yourself, who is causing you harm because you love yourself and love God and um, just always look to whatever, even if it's um, whatever higher power entity that you connect with, um, always um, just stay close to that and self-care, just practice really good self-care, really good self-care. That's why I would say, and just know that nothing, none of this is your fault. You did nothing wrong. It's these, you know, these people who were supposed to care and love for you. They are the ones who um, dropped the ball, you know, and um, I feel like we are just like amazing people who can go through these type of things and still come out, you know, um, good people and loving people. So just don't lose that, you know, no matter what, you know, just, hold on to that you know goodness and just love yourself well lemon i really want to thank you for sharing your story with us today imparting all of your uh, knowledge and experience uh, with our community today you did a really good job so from the bottom of my heart thank you very much for uh, being here with us today uh, showing us who you are as a person and, and inspiring us 
and uh, really just being you because everyone's uh, behind you 100% and uh, you really are uh, a big inspiration for everyone um, and your healing process is, is inspiring and your awareness of everything is inspiring. So I really just want to thank you and I can't thank you enough. And I say thank you a million times. So I know I'm, I'm getting annoying now, but uh, really it was a, it was a pleasure uh, being here and talking with you today. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me, um, Brandon. Thank you. And if you want to be a guest on our show, like Lemon was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. On our Guest Form page, there are tons of instructions. There's a lot of instructions. Please read them all. And then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Sorry, at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com in that format. Or fill it out in our submit page and then press the submit button. And again, please use the format that we have on our guest form page. And we are always looking for uh, as many submissions as possible. And also at NarcissistApocalypse.com. We have a support group. So if you need support, please do go to our website. And at the top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network. On our, on our social network, we have our very own forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Saturday night, and Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support our show... Just join our support group because it helps us out a lot. Also, things that help us out, well, if you want to leave us a review on whatever service you use, please leave us a five-star review if you can. It helps out the show a lot when it comes to ranking and discoverability. People who are listening, if you need even more support, I'm fumbling over my words, but if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone because at domesticshelters.org, they can offer you articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're going through. They can connect you with shelters and agencies as well. It's a free resource. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And that is it for our show today. So from myself... Anna Lemon, we hope you have a good night.